Good morning, everybody. If you weren't awake, I just woke you up. Are we good? Yeah? Okay, perfect. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Sabbath. Um, I, I, I got to tell you, we have been extremely blessed. We've had um, probably just one or two individuals that have been struggling with COVID. Uh, things seem to be going well. People are healing, and it's just been a great blessing. We have entire churches in Florida right now that are shut down because of the surges and everything else. So, so it is good to to at least hear that that there's some good news even in the midst of the madness that's happening in the world out there. I don't think we're ever ever gonna be the same. Um, I, I sneezed earlier, and instead of a God bless you, Gary went like this. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know what, what's going on there. But, you know, in a way, a lot of good things came out of that. You know, we, we, we got online because of COVID. We're streaming and everything else. I mean, and I cannot even believe that we are at the two-year mark since we had that two-week shutdown. You know, it was like we heard about it that, that one November, and then sometime January, February, we shut down, and then, you know, March, they say, no, it's going to be more permanent, and then we, we, we're here in the world that we are in today. But again, it's good to see all of you here. I can't see you guys at home, but I did get to see a little bit while I was sitting there, those who were watching, and, and some of the, uh, in Facebook, you get that notice that says, this person is watching with you. So uh, again, good to see all of you here, and those at home, glad to have you. Um, really quickly, before I pray and we get to the message for today, just a reminder that next week, Calvin Taylor, he's the one that, you know, has a much larger hand than I do. I can do about uh, six or seven notes on the piano. He can do almost two and a half octaves with just one hand. So when you hear him playing music, it's like five or six different hands are there playing the piano. And so you're going to be blessed. I've known him for years and enjoyed him. So he's going to be here, going to be doing a message with song and the word of God for Sabbath morning. And then at five o'clock is going to be doing a, a concert. So, so I just wanted to remind everybody of that again. Uh, we've been emailing, uh, we've been announcing it from here. If you're not on our weekly email, please send an email to Tallahassee First SDA at gmail.com and say, add me to the weekly list and we'll put you on there. But now that I've said that, let's go ahead and pray and get to the word of God today. Father God, we come before you. And I'm asking God that you um, speak through me, Lord. This is a continuation of a topic from a couple of weeks ago. And we dare not open the scriptures ever without calling upon your Holy Spirit for wisdom and understanding. But I also ask that it be you and not I. We ask this humbly in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Sir Ivan, can you lower the the monitors for me, please? I, I don't know. In spite of what people think, I don't enjoy the sound of my own voice. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. Um, I think I can still hear. Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll make do with it. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, we had talked to you about the God's immutable law. We went through the Word of God about the importance of God's immutable law. Today, however, it's something that we're going to go through from history. Something that happened in our early church history. I'm talking about the seven-day Adventist church history. And so I'm going to share with you from Scripture and share some historical things that happened with them and the lessons that we could get out of that. So here's what happens. 
they had rediscovered the seventh-day Sabbath. Two weeks ago, we talked about the law of God, how it stands, and the importance of the Sabbath. And so now we're looking at this idea of a work of reform. Because you see, the prophet Isaiah has several prophecies. And one of the prophecies that he had, he foretold of this concept that was so important, and it was a matter of salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's take a look at the very first uh, verse today. Isaiah 56, 1. Look what it says. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. Why? For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Let's hold it right there for a moment. Because immediately you're reading this this chapter 56, the beginning verse, and and you are... um, as you're reading this, you're saying, wow, salvation and justice and righteousness, and this, this is important. And then look at verse 2, Isaiah 56, 2. It says the following, Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the what? The Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Verse 6 of the same chapter Also, the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the what? The Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. And verse 7, it says the following. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer only for Jewish people, only for seven-day Adventists and seven-day Baptists, only for people who live back in the day. What does it say there? For all nations, for all nations. And verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. One more text, and then we'll, we'll, we'll break it down briefly. Revelation 14, 6. It says the following, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. And if you're not sure if you live on earth, he want, the, the text continues, To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So here's what happens. In this prophecy, it's saying not only how salvation and Sabbath are linked, so are justice and righteousness. Many of us keep all of the commandments, but but the the injustices that come from us is an issue. Again, not the people from Tallahassee first, those those other people out there, you know, but but this is one of those things that it, it seems to be linked some way, somehow. Not only that, It is not just for Jewish people. It is not just for Seventh-day Adventists. This is something where over and over we see examples in the scriptures, like, like when it is mentioned that there are sheep in other pastures, that, you know, that the gospel message, like we just read now in Revelation, went to every tribe and tongue and nation and people. In Isaiah, even in the Old Testament, when it's talking about there's going to be outcasts and foreigners and other people that are going to come. And when you look at the commandments, which we looked at two weeks ago, even in the four fourth commandment of the Sabbath, it talks about how to keep it. Not only that, it talks about your servants. It talks about the strangers who are within your gates and even your animals. Like if you use an ox to work the field, the animal gets the Sabbath day off too. So it seems like it is something very, very important. So the early Adventists, 
They were learning many, many things. If you don't know about our history, we had talked before how before the Adventists, there was this Millerite movement that thought that Jesus was coming. They made a mistake. It wasn't Jesus. It was something entirely. Check out the archives if you want to find out exactly what that was. But from there, the Adventist church formed. And we learned things like baptism from the Anabaptists by immersion instead of sprinkling because the Bible talks only about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Just one, and it teaches us how to do that. And we learn so many things. And even from the farmers, we, we learn how to do our service at a certain time to give them enough time to feed and do whatever they needed to. And when we discovered the Sabbath, when we knew how important it was, the need for reform was there. And they knew they needed to tell it to the world. They knew that they needed to know because this was very, very important. And not only that, look at Isaiah 8.20. Look what it says on here. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. To the law and the testimony. We don't have that up there. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Too late now. We're good. I read it. Anyhow, that was Isaiah 8.20. To the law and testimony. If they do not speak in accordance to this words, because there is no light in them. Now, here is what happens. They recognize, they recognize a concept that one of our pioneers, one of our early writers, Ellen White, she mentioned that, you know, to be almost safe is holy loss. You know, and, and, and so and so what happens is that they recognize wholeheartedly that people who are not walking the ways of God. And even if they're faulting in a small details, yeah, but it is just details, etc. Yeah, but didn't Cain and Abel both build the altar, gather the wood, did everything. And only what was laying on top of it for an offering to God, that was just a little bit different, just a small detail. One was accepted. One was rejected. And, 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 so, and so understand the burden that they felt to go out there and share this with people. There has to be a reform. Isaiah 58.1. Shout with joy. I mean, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout out loud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Verse 2. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the law of his God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. So I hear all of the time, I hear all of the time, there are people that want to cover their bases. You know, it reminds me of that one uh, city in the book of Acts where Paul went to visit and they had like, you know, homage to all these various gods. And just in case there was one in there that says to the unknown God. I mean, they cover all of their uh, uh, bases. It's kind of like those people who invest, who diversify, diversify, diversify. I mean, they had their hand in every godly stock there was. And just in case they put one up for the unknown God. The question in Revelation at the end of the day is, whom do you worship? Do you follow the Lamb wherever it leads or not? That's it. That's why they felt such a burden. And they wanted to go ahead and do that. And, you know, understand something. When it talks about shouting, it talks about letting them know this wasn't necessarily to beat people up, but to bring them to the light. You understand? And, and you share the word of God. Now, there was some opposition to that. And I'll read from the Great Controversy, page 454. And look what it says. 
as the claims of the Sabbath were presented, many reason from the whirling standpoint, said they, we have always kept Sunday. Our fathers kept it. And many good and pious men have died happy while keeping it. If they were right, so are we. The keeping of this new Sabbath would throw us out of harmony with the world. And we will have no influence over them. What can a little company keeping the seventh day hope to accomplish against all the world who are keeping Sunday? I hear all of the time two arguments. We're too small and we can't do these things. There's so many biblical examples of impossible situations that were completely an outcome that was not expected. Like cities and walls that dropped simply by just marching around and sounding trumpets. Like little David defeating bears and lions and then Goliath. Like Daniel being thrown in the lion's den full of hungry lions, and they just took a nap together. I can imagine them cuddling in there, just hanging out, and suddenly they were amazed so much that when they threw somebody else in the same pit, before it hit the ground, it was devoured. And so, you know, we have to stop putting limits to God. There's that cliche saying, and because it's a cliche, we really ignore it, where it says, you know, uh, don't, don't, don't tell God how big your problem is, but tell your problem how big God is. But it is true. He wants us to be able to depend on him to do the impossible. So many stories like Gideon, the battle that he went to, where he's like, no, you got too many people. No, do this, get rid of some more. No, get rid of some more. No, get rid of some more. I want to make sure that when a victory is delivered to the Israelites, they know that it came from me and not because of their might and power. Sometimes you are placed in situations where you see no way out, where it is impossible, where you're saying, how am I going to get out of this? There's no way. Everybody says, the world says, the experts say that there's no way. But my God has a way of turning a dead end into a detour. My God has a way of making a way. And that's something that we need to understand. But yet, the idea of reform was important. They felt it, but they thought it was, who are we with the entire world? You know, the Adventist church right now, it's one of the few religions that is a worldwide movement. So, so don't sleep on the holes, just a little bit of people, because it happened amazingly. The other thing that I have heard always, the second one is, we've always done it this way. Just because something is old, and we've done it this way forever, it does not mean it's right. The truth According to uh, Gospels writers and editors, this, this is a book also by Ellen White. You know, uh, the truth, no matter how many times you test it, it will always be the truth. If you're putting something to the test, and because we've done this for thousands of years, but doesn't add up with the Word of God, because if they don't speak in accordance to this Word, there is no light in them, then something is off. Don't be afraid of it, but we've done it this way. My fathers did it, they fathers did it. It's okay to start fresh. It's okay to stand on the word. It's never too late to do what's right and to do what the word of God says, to stand up for the truth. Great Controversy 454, it says, Many urge that Sunday keeping had been an established doctrine and a widespread custom of the church for many centuries. That's that whole, we've been doing this forever. But they failed to realize that the Sabbath was given even way before the commandments were given. 
We'll go ahead and take a look at that. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was complete. Verse 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And so people that argue that, no, you know, but, but we've been keeping Sunday forever. And, you know, since the very first organized religion and since the very whatever. Yeah, but Sabbath is even older than that. So the argument that we've been doing this forever is void and null or null and void. What's that English expression? N-U-L-L. I can't say it. But, you know, that is that. It's N-U-L-L. And, and it doesn't matter. Why? Because we, Sabbath is even older than that, older than Mount Sinai, older than all of that. And also, also, the Bible says that my God is, is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so if he doesn't change, and the Sabbath is a day where he wants to spend with you and me, that's why there are Bible verses that say we're going to even celebrate them in heaven and come with him Sabbath after Sabbath. Listen to him preach, not someone who can't pronounce no properly, and not someone who can't sing, but, but imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus on the Sabbath. It is a very, very important thing. Here's what happens, and I need you to understand this. Back in 2010, we had a whole bunch of seminarians, out-of-shape pastors, male and female alike, that we went to do the Egypt experience, from Egypt to the Promised Land. It took us 21 days. We cheated a little bit, and we took a boat because the Lord didn't part the Red Sea, and, and we did, you know, uh, hang around Mount Sinai and Rasa Safa and all of these different places. A beautiful experience. It, it, it's, if you look at the map, it's not too, too far from Egypt to Israel. I mean, thousands of kilometers or whatever, and that's fine. But they were lost in the wilderness for over 40 years because of their lack of trust and faith in God. They were afraid of some giants. That when the spies went, you know, uh, 10 out of the 12 were like, no, no, big people there. And they kept forgetting who God was. And this is why it cost them that. This is a problem. How much are we crippling God in our own lives because of our lack of faith or belief? This is what happened to the early Adventists with this work of reform. Hebrews 3.19. Look what it says. Hebrews 3.19. It says, so we see that they could not enter... In because of unbelief. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. Lack of belief. Great controversy, 458. Look what it says. Because of their backsliding and apostasy, they perished in the desert. And others were raised up to enter the promised land. In like manner, it was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed and his people should remain so many years in this world of sin and sorrow. But unbelief separated them from God as they refused to do the work which he had appointed them. Others were raised up to proclaim the message in mercy to the world. Jesus delays his coming. That sinners may have an opportunity to hear the warning and find in him a shelter. What's that text in Peter? We don't have it on the screen, but where he talks about, you know, the, the, this concept that the Lord is not dragging his feet. He's not slowing his promise. Is that he just doesn't want anyone to perish. 
So he's given us an opportunity to do what is right, to obey him, to follow in his ways. And so this is something that we need to understand. And I'm not talking just to the folks that are here and, and, and online. I'm talking about not just because you're in the church means that you're walking with God. Just because you're listening online from your living room, bedroom, wherever, doesn't mean that you're walking with God. I'm talking about to the individuals who specifically know, know that you're not walking with God. It is time. It is time to, to stop dragging our own feet because even though he is delaying a little bit for our sake, we know very well that we are living in the end times. We're seeing that more and more evident in the world that we're in. John 3.20 For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Ezekiel 2.7 You shall speak my words to them whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. This is the Lord because he's recognizing that people are not working, uh, walking in his ways. And, and he wants us to share with others, let others know. And, and again, you have to come from a place of love the same way that God has been merciful and loving with you. But you do need to uplift Jesus. Because if he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Now notice this from Ezekiel 3, 7. Ezekiel 3, 7, next chapter. It says, but the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them have hard-hearted and stubborn. Are hard-hearted and stubborn, sorry. Um, ver, uh, Ezekiel 33, 7, 30 chapters later. So you, son of men, I have made you a watchman for, uh, for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Verse 8. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. And verse 9, but if you do warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Let me tell you this. This is probably one of the hardest things to share as a pastor. Because I am constantly struggling with church members across the board. Those that know me, you know, I have a couple of churches. And in New Jersey, I work with over 100 churches. I mean, but I'm constantly struggling with the ones who want to do this. Tell the brother that, that something is off without checking the plank that is in their eye. Or from, from like whips and, 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 and bats and like you, or with fear, you're going to burn in hell. How do we find the right balance of the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus while still speaking the truth? That's a very hard thing. And I have to tell you, here's what it comes down to. In love. You need to make the love of God your own. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, when my mom, when my mom will come talk to me, hey, Joey, you know, and she's telling me the things that I'm doing off, she has my ear, and I'm constantly listening. Now, my brother may have been trying to tell me that the whole entire time, but because we're always fighting, I could care less what he is saying. I do not want to hear it. My, my cousin, Chico, when he was in New Jersey, one of the corners dealing drugs, and I went up to him and I said to him, hey, cuz, come on, and throw him in the car and, you know, pull, pull him out of there. He was receptive. If I were to do that to just some stranger in a corner selling drugs in Jersey, I, I wouldn't be here today, you know? There, there, there's a relationship and a love aspect that is crucial. 
You need to find that balance. You need to check yourself before you go do that. But we also do have a responsibility. I've done that with people in my life. I said, listen, I love you and, and, and I accept you for who you are. What you're doing is off. I don't approve of that, but I do love you. And if you want to study, learn more about it, let me know. And I have to have sort of like a, a serious, and I don't bring it up again. I'm not beating them over and over. I've said my piece to them, but we got to figure out a way to do this because we have a responsibility to walk the way and tell others about the way without also doing it from fear. Because after all, it should be that I want to spend eternity with my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, the one that loves me. It shouldn't be that I'm trying to avoid hell. Or be burned, like they used to tell me growing up. They used to tell me two things. Papa Dios castiga, God punishes, or watch out because you're going to burning hell. And so you know what happened to little old me who got baptized when I was seven years old? When I became a teenager and I lost some of that fear, I did things that, praise God, I didn't get caught out there and I was able to come back. Praise God that my life was saved multiple times. And so this is the part that I need you to understand. There, there's a call for reform. I don't care how impossible it seems. Even half of my family who are not part of the church at all. I mean, never mind being of another denomination. Completely unchurched. But it's not impossible. There has to be a lot of prayer and such a connection with God that His love is manifested so much in your life that when you approach them, it's received like when my mommy used to tell me what to do or what not to do versus my brother trying to tell me what to do, what not to do. Do you see the difference? There has to be there, but that love, that love that Jesus on the mount says, even love your enemy, I can't do that on my own. My instinct is not that. That means that you need to be so connected to God that you talk like Him, that you sound like Him, that you love sinners like him and that is the only way to find the right balance otherwise we run the risk of the pharisees and the sadducees and the scribes that even jesus wasn't holy enough for them and that's the part where we need to try to follow that balance is, is that all right can we do that okay now some people say well things are going to get ugly things are going to be hard second corinthians four seventeen. look what it says for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You know, some people don't want to share Jesus with others because they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. You know, I have to tell you, I have two types of people in most of my churches. Okay, two types. I got the ones that are wealthy and will cut me a check for anything that I need. Praise God for that because we need the financial support. But yet they wouldn't show up and mingle with people. They're more comfortable just writing a check. And then I got other people that are as broke as I am, ramen noodles all the way. But they are there before anybody shows up. They're the first one in, the last one out. And they, they work and they break their backs and everything else. So, so it's interesting because we have people who have no problem getting dirty, you know, and, and doing the work. And we have others who rather just mail a check. Or just do something. And, 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 and I'm not saying that the financial part is not needed. I mean, praise God, with the, with the new fellowship hall, we, we got it almost 100% funded, which is beautiful how, how much you, know, you guys have blessed, and that's great. But the idea is that once we open the fellowship hall, once we start doing things for the community, who can I count on? You know? And, and, and so it is time. 
It is time for us to stop using minor inconveniences as an excuse. It may be tedious, and, and, and that's okay. I mean, you think I wanted to buff my head yesterday so it's nice and shiny for you today? It's a lot of work. And when you're in a hurry, you nick yourself and all of that stuff. But, but you know, got to try not to scare people as much as possible. So clean it up a little bit. There are little things that we do. Do you think that we wanted to come out here? My bed was warm this morning. I mean, I like cold weather, but man, I, I don't want to have to get out. But I kind of had to because I was preaching today. But, but you understand? It, it's uncomfortable. But listen, my God loved us so much that gave his son. I told you a couple of weeks ago during the Christmas message that I'll probably give my life for some of you. But I don't think any of you are worthy of me giving my, my kids' lives for you. Like, I'm not sure I would. I, 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 at this moment, I can't. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard. But God loves us so much that gave his son. And then Jesus left his place of comfort and, and, and came down here, became like you and me to, to only be persecuted. And, and they try to kill him even when he was just a little baby. Probably couldn't walk yet. I mean, we don't know. I, I mean, Harold said to ages two and down. I, I have no idea if he was two years old or not. Probably wasn't potty trained. I mean, I, could you imagine already being born and being, and they wanted you dead? I mean, that's how it was. He suffered through all of that for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. And we can't even tell somebody Jesus loves you and he died for you because it's hard. The reward is in heaven. It does have a glory that vastly awaits, you know, everything and it will last forever. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty six. This is he. And I put it in parentheses. If you read the previous verse, you know it's Moses. But he, Moses, though it was better to suffer for the sake, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to Owned the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Imagine how life would be if we live with a heaven's mentality. What that means, even though, I, not true, but even though I used to steal a lot, and, and now I'm tempted for that $5 that was left there, I know that the $5 is not way, my salvation. Even though I grew up proud, and anybody that, that, that stepped up to me, I would fight. You know, maybe that's not worth my salvation. Even though I find people attractive, you know, that, that, that lady over there is not worth my salvation. I mean, if you live with a heaven's mentality, if you live with a heaven's mentality, you will even realize that that movie marathon is not worth your salvation. When you can't even spend five minutes reading the Bible or having a morning devotion, or you have movie night with the family, but do you have worship night with the family? Come on now. Isaiah 51.7. Look what it says. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong. You who cherish my law in your hearts. Do not be afraid of people's scorns, nor fear their insults. So don't worry about the discomfort. It has everlasting results. Don't worry about people with, you know, who, who give you scorn and hate you and insult you. It's okay. You do what's right with God. And lastly for today, John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Don't you realize that if Christ is the head and we are the body, we are meant to be out there extending to people. We have been sent like a letter. We have been sent to deliver a message. We are representatives, ambassadors, if you will. We are, we are supposed to look out for something that doesn't belong to us. We are not of ourselves, for we were purchased by a great price. Are we living our lives as such? 
the early Adventist church struggled and came up with a lot of excuses for a work of reform early on in the ministry. Is there a work of reform that is needed in your own individual lives or in loved ones around you? And if there is, it's in a time. Let us pray. Father God, probably a perfect time to make an appeal and ask people to stand up or raise their hands if it is your desire to have a work of reform in your life today, whether it is to keep the Sabbath, to walk differently, or maybe just start morning devotion with your family or evenings or something like that. But I don't want to do that because raising their hand here means nothing. It's what they do when they leave this place. And so I am asking, Father God, that you be with every person that has listened to this message here in the congregation, people online. I am asking, Father God, that if there needs to be a work of reform in our lives, that you reveal that to us. Because after all, if we're not walking in accordance to your word, it's because there is no light in us. And Lord, we are exhausted and tired of the darkness. We need to walk in the light while we have light before the darkness overcomes us. So I am asking, Father God, to please give us not only a single or a double, but a quadruple portion of your spirit of every person that is listening to this prayer right now. That we may walk in your ways, that we may let others know what an amazing God you are so that they too will walk in the light. Bless us and keep us and work in us and through us for the benefit of all. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.